Good morning. In today's headlines, Hunter Biden is set to appear in court for a plea hearing today. The judge in the case threatens legal sanctions against the defense team. Find out why. A federal judge blocks a Biden policy that restricts asylum for illegal border crossers. And a House bill is introduced to amend the Immigration and Nationality Act. We have the details. A bill that aims to hold Chinese officials accountable for the flow of fentanyl to the U.S. passes in the House. Hear what kind of measures it would take to fight trafficking of the deadly drug. Family connections paving the way to college admission is in the spotlight. The Department of Education opens an investigation into an Ivy League school's admissions policies. A new player in the text-based social media race, TikTok, takes on Elon Musk's X with a text-only posting option. We have the latest. And we spoke to Shen Yun dancers and star vloggers known as the Three Musketeers. The trio told us about why they started a YouTube channel and why they do what they do despite interference from the CCP. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Wednesday, July 26th. And you know, Evelyn, I think a key area in this asylum dispute is that the Biden administration says that it can restrict asylum in those ways because it's opening other legal pathways to migration. Right. Um, but the judge says that's sidestepping Congress because that's not what they had intended for those asylum policies. That is right. And first of all, we're glad you're here. And topping the news this morning are some developments surrounding the president's son. That's right. Hunter Biden is set to appear in court today. He's expected to plead guilty in a deal with prosecutors on tax and gun charges. The judge presiding over the case threatened to sanction Hunter Biden's legal team last night. That was for allegedly lying to the court clerk to have recent testimony from IRS whistleblowers removed from the case record. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Hunter Biden's legal team denied Tuesday night that they lied to court officials to get filings from a GOP lawmaker removed from the public docket. Representative Jason Smith, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, urged the judge in his filing to consider recent testimony from IRS whistleblowers alleging Hunter Biden received preferential treatment from the Justice Department. Smith submitted transcripts of the testimonies. Defense lawyers objected to the filing and said the materials violated the court's rules because they contained grand jury and confidential taxpayer information. An attorney representing Smith says the filing only included redacted documents properly disclosed on the committee's website. The documents were made publicly available last month on the House Ways and Means Committee's website after an approved committee vote. Smith's attorney says Tuesday afternoon he received word the filing was removed from the docket. He says when he contacted the clerk's office, he was told someone claiming to work for his office had contacted the court and asked for the filing to be removed. The judge in her order says the caller misrepresented her identity and who she worked for in an attempt to improperly convince the clerk's office to remove the amicus materials from the docket. The order says the court discussed the matter with the clerk's office and was told the caller, Ms. Jessica Bengals, represented that she worked with Smith's attorney. Bengals works at Latham & Watkins, a law firm where one of Hunter Biden's attorneys was formerly a partner. The judge gave the defense team until 9 p.m. Tuesday to explain why they should not be sanctioned for misrepresentations to the court. Bengals wrote in an affidavit to the judge that she never told anyone at the clerk's office that she was working with attorneys representing Smith and that it was a mistaken understanding. Hunter Biden's lawyers say they have no idea how the misunderstanding occurred, but that there was no misrepresentation made and that the entire incident was completely unintentional. 
The document was temporarily placed under seal until the close of business on Wednesday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis trying to scale back the cost of his 2024 presidential campaign. He has let go of over a third of his campaign staff. The DeSantis campaign said yesterday it let go of 38 employees in recent weeks. DeSantis' campaign manager said in a statement that they are taking additional aggressive steps to streamline operations and put DeSantis in the strongest position. While DeSantis' campaign raised about $20 million in the second quarter, he spent about $8 million during that period. Most of the money came from donors who contributed the maximum legal amount to his campaign and cannot contribute any further this election. DeSantis is in second place in the Republican primary, but remains far behind former President Trump. Chinese regime officials could soon face sanctions for their complicity or involvement of fentanyl spreading into the U.S. A bill passed in the House yesterday looks to attack the production of the illicit drug at its source and at every step of the supply chain, Entities Jeremy Sandberg reports. The House of Representatives passed the Stop Chinese Fentanyl Act of 2023 on Tuesday. It's aimed at holding Chinese officials accountable for the spread of the illicit and deadly drug to the U.S. The bill would expand the definition of a foreign fentanyl trafficker in a 2019 sanctions law to include any Chinese entity involved in producing, selling, distributing, or financing synthetic opioids or precursors. The bill's main sponsor, Representative Andy Barr, says that the culpability of the CCP in the opioid epidemic in the U.S. does not end when the precursor products land in Mexico or illegally cross the southern border. The CCP has adjusted their practices and begun producing precursor chemicals and outsourcing final production to cartel laboratories in Mexico to then exploit our porous southern border and poison the American people. Under the bill, an entity in China that fails to take credible steps to detect or prevent opioid trafficking will face sanctions. Any senior Chinese officials with oversight on the issue or those who haven't taken concrete measures to combat foreign opioid traffickers will also face sanctions. The bill would also compel the president to determine if top Chinese officials, including the Ministry of Public Security and the General Administration of Customs, are foreign opioid traffickers. China is the primary source of fentanyl precursors. Data from the CDC in May shows that close to 110,000 Americans died of drug overdoses last year. Two-thirds involve synthetic opioids, including fentanyl. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A new measure could shape future Chinese investments in the U.S. Senators voted overwhelmingly yesterday to block China from buying U.S. farmland. Senator Mike Rounds introduced the proposals last August. He named four adversaries that seek to tap into U.S. resources. These are China, Russia, North Korea and Iran. According to Rounds, the amendment would also restrict entities from those four countries from renting U.S. agricultural land. The amendment will be included in the Senate version of the National Defense Authorization Act for 2024. The House version was already passed in mid-July. In the next step, the House and Senate will negotiate a compromise version of the act before it arrives on President Biden's desk. The land purchase ban comes amid concerns about Chinese ownership of U.S. farmland. At the state level, Florida, Texas, Virginia and South Dakota have worked to tighten controls on foreign land acquisitions. Turning now to higher education, a new front in the college admissions battle has opened up. The issue legacy admissions or getting into college just because someone in your family went there. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on a Department of Education investigation into Harvard University's policy. 
The preferential treatment of children of alumni and donors has come under increased scrutiny recently. This, since the Supreme Court struck down the use of affirmative action as a means to increase the number of black and Latino students, the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights will seek to determine whether Harvard's use of donor and legacy preferences in admissions discriminates on the basis of race. The investigation comes in the wake of a study published by Harvard economists on Monday. It found that Ivy League universities give significant admissions advantages to wealthy applicants over less affluent students who have similar qualifications. On the topic of university practices, Representatives Virginia Fox and Mike Gallagher sent a letter to UC Berkeley. They are concerned over the university's ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Representative Fox says the CCP is doing everything it can to infiltrate academic institutions in the United States and that there's cooperation going on between Berkeley and a university in China. And we want some answers. Berkeley is not reporting the millions of dollars that it's getting from China for this institute, and we're demanding answers on what's going on. We're very concerned that there could be infiltration from the Chinese Communist Party getting um, technology and secrets from us that they can then in turn use against the United States. Fox says such research collaborations may look innocent, but what kind of information the CCP is gathering or how they might use it is unknown. They have hired Berkeley faculty to work on these projects as well as having um, Chinese work on the projects. And we just want to know. It's important that there be transparency. Fox says Section 117 of the Higher Education Act compels universities to report to Congress any money that's coming in that's $250,000 or more. But the representative says the Biden administration is not forcing the universities to make such reports. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. After the break, a federal judge has blocked a Biden policy that restricts asylum for illegal border crossers. We speak to an expert to get their take on it, so stay with us. Good to have you back. There could be an uptick in illegal border crossings soon after a federal judge yesterday blocked President Biden's asylum policy. Meanwhile, the DOJ has sued Texas for building a barrier to keep illegal immigrants out. Entity's Arlene Richards reports. In recent months, the White House has said they've gotten the immigration crisis under control due in part to new immigration policies. If you think about the parolee program, you think about uh, uh, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Cuba, it's down by more than 97%. The program that he's put forth, we see them working. The data shows that. But a California federal judge Tuesday blocked a key rule in the Biden administration's immigration policies. The new rule announced in February was intended to cut down on the number of people illegally crossing the border each month. Under the rule, migrants must first apply online or seek protection in a country they've passed through. The judge said the rule bars migrants from seeking asylum because the other countries don't offer safe options. The judge put the ruling on hold for 14 days, giving the administration time for a possible appeal. In Congress, Representative Matt Gates, a Republican, is hoping to end birthright citizenship. 
Currently, children born in the United States receive automatic citizenship even if their parents are not U.S. nationals. Gates introduced a bill called End Birthright Citizenship Fraud Act of 2023. The bill would amend the Immigration and Nationality Act. In a statement about the bill, Gates said the proposed amendment would reflect the original intent of the 14th Amendment's subject to the jurisdiction thereof clause. The bill states that the original intent was to give citizenship only to those who owed their allegiance to the United States and were subject to its complete jurisdiction. Gates said that birthright citizenship has been misapplied for decades. If passed, the bill would still give citizenship to children of lawfully admitted refugees or permanent residents. The bill comes as the House Judiciary Committee is set to question Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on Wednesday. House Republicans have been considering whether or not to impeach Mayorkas. In just over two years under Secretary Mayorkas, more people have entered our country illegally than in the 12 years of the Obama and Trump administrations combined. In June, the House Homeland Security Committee launched an investigation. And last week, the committee published a report alleging that Mayorkas violated his constitutional oath of office. They said he hasn't been able to discharge the duties of the office. Some states are still taking matters into their own hands. Texas continues to set up floating barriers on the Rio Grande. The equipment was delivered yesterday on Friday, and this really shows that right now the state of Texas continues to take unprecedented action in the absence of the federal government to secure the border. But there are consequences. The DOJ is suing Texas and Governor Greg Abbott over the border barriers. They say it violates federal law and presents a risk to public safety. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And joining us now to give us more insight on the border issues we just touched on is Victor Avila. He is a retired special agent for ICE. Good morning, Victor. Would you please start by telling me more about Biden's rule that was blocked by the federal judge? Um, what was it about exactly and how did it affect border crossings? Well, it's uh, it, the Biden administration is trying to uh, circumvent, I think, our, our laws. What they're trying to do is get everyone to come in through a legal port of entry. Um, and this is what, what the judge blocked, saying uh, you will be penalized if you go in between the port of entries, but actually rewarded if you come at a legal port of entry. But I want to make something very clear here. There's, a, there's two different fights going on here, one in the courts, in the legal system, and one, the reality that is happening at the border. I just returned from the border this weekend, and it's a whole different story at the border. People are coming in between the ports of entry, through the ports of entry, every which way imaginable, being smuggled, trafficked. Uh, that hasn't changed. The reality at the border is that it hasn't changed, and the numbers haven't actually dropped. They just haven't been reported the same way and counted the same way that they were prior to Title 42 being lifted. Mm. Now, so that ruling will take effect in 14 days, but um, how likely is it that the Biden administration, with an appeal, that this appeal would go through? Um, what do you think will happen? Well, yeah, I, I actually believe that nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change uh, on the field and, and actually uh, with the people crossing. Uh, it's a victory. Uh, it's showing the Biden administration that the legal system is looking at the Constitution and looking at the legalities of what they want to do and basically pointing out to them that what you're doing is illegal. Even the people that are being brought in between and through the port of entry, I should say, with these permits, 
it's illegal. You cannot be issuing paroles to circumvent asylum uh, seekers and, and, the, and the asylum criteria that we have in the United States. So it's, it gets a little bit complicated, but we, we got to keep in mind that uh, what's happening down and not, not lose our focus, that people still continue to come into this country at every point illegally, but hopefully the court will maintain that ruling. Right, and I think you were just touching on that because there is the argument that this is um, the rule is a smokescreen, but many also argue that um, it was one of the policies that really reduced the number of border crossings. Now, can you tell us a little bit more, go into a bit more detail? Is there any truth to that? Absolutely not. The left has been and the Democrats have been pushing this narrative for the last month and a half, and really actually after Title 42 was lifted because they stopped counting the numbers. So obviously they did drop. You know, we were been experiencing over 200,000 apprehensions a month. All of a sudden they go into the low 100,000s and they call it a victory. What I call it is a lie. And, and that's what it is, is the people continue to come. They just have not been counted. They are counting them as a legal entry in the port of entry. Some of them using the CBP-1 app, most of them being processed by NGOs on the Mexican side that does not actually reduce the numbers uh, uh, that are actually coming into the United States. Mm, very interesting points we're making here. And since we have you right now, um, what is your stance on the buoy situation in Texas that we just heard about? Well, this is very interesting. I want people to focus on, 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 on the big picture here. And you have our U.S. government and Department of Justice suing the state of Texas and Governor Abbott. And it makes, makes you want to question and pay attention here is what side is uh, our administration on? Are they on the sides of securing the border and defending our state and defending our country? Or are they on the side of the cartels? Because that's the, all the indications that they're doing is they're fighting us uh, and the state of Texas for trying to do something to reduce the entry uh, of illegal aliens coming into the country. But instead of fighting the cartels and instead of holding Mexico accountable, they're suing us and, and fighting us for trying to uh, do something about something and the failures and uh, their dereliction of duty that when it comes to border security. Hmm. Now, part of the argument is, um, you know, the effectiveness of, of those buoys and then, of course, um, in juxtaposition of the, of the safety risk for the people. How do you weigh those things? Well, I'm going to tell you the truth about the buoys. Um, it, they're not going to be as effective as people think. Um, it, the, the illegals are coming around. The cartels have immediately figured out where to change the, the, and the direction of the illegals coming in. And another thing is that, um, you know, I just talked to Border Patrol agents and DPS troopers down in the Big Bend area, um, where mostly the desert area. However, what they're telling me is that the illegals are seeking and looking for green uniforms, meaning Border Patrol agents, because they know that they're going to be allowed in and avoiding the tan uniforms, which are the DPS troopers, uh, because they know that they might be repelled if they encounter them. So this is the, the, the real uh, uh, issues that are happening on the ground. A lot of deaths in the desert right now, dead bodies, drownings, and yes, a lot of people caught in, in the buoys or the razor wire, which I say, you know, remain in your country. You would not be placed in these kind of dangers, not, not only just at the river, but the challenges that uh, the rapes and everything else that they encounter coming through uh, several countries and Mexico, and they're being exploited. Let's stop the magnet and the invitation from this uh, administration to secure lives and, and, and keep them from being victims of crimes themselves. 
Well, yeah, horrible things um, happening down there. Thank you so much, Victor Avila, for telling us um, more about this issue. Thank you for having me. Coming up, another incident between a Russian fighter jet and an American drone flying over Syria. And TikTok is jumping into the new social media battle. The video sharing app just introduced a feature taking aim at Elon Musk's new X brand. Really great to have you back. More problems in the skies over Syria, where the military says a Russian jet damaged an American drone. The Pentagon says a Russian fighter jet flew close to a U.S. drone over Syria and fired flares at it, striking the aircraft and damaging it. An Air Force commander says Sunday's incident was an attempt by the Russians to knock the drone from the sky. It's the latest in a string of aggressive actions by Russia in the region. The U.S. and Russia have protested one another's actions in the incident. The battle is heating up for text-based platforms. China-owned video sharing app TikTok is now taking aim at X, the company formerly known as Twitter. TikTok announced this week that it will allow users to create text-only posts similar to posts on X. The new feature has a word limit of 1,000 characters similar to Instagram stories. Posts can also contain hashtags and allow people to tag other users. With the new launch, TikTok becomes the second major social media firm to challenge the company formerly known as Twitter. Earlier this month, Meta Platform CEO Mark Zuckerberg launched Threads, also a text-only application. Beyond that, TikTok's product expansion doesn't appear to stop there. According to a Wall Street Journal report, the video sharing app also plans to launch an e-commerce site to sell Chinese-made goods in the U.S. TikTok's moves come as the company faces heightened scrutiny by American officials and a potential ban in the U.S. That's over concerns that its data collection poses a risk to national security. And now, some short headlines from around the world. A Belgian court convicted six men of murder yesterday after the country's largest ever trial over the terrorist bombings in Brussels seven years ago. The twin bombings at the airport and on the city's metro in March 2016 killed 32 people. Separate hearings will be held for sentencing in September. Unilever, the parent company of Ben & Jerry's, says it has agreed to comply with Russian conscript law. It's opening up the possibility that thousands of its employees in Russia could be sent to the war in Ukraine if called up. Unilever is facing criticism over its decisions to continue its business operations in Russia. Taiwan conducted anti-aircraft landing drills at its main international airport on Wednesday. It demonstrated its defensive tactics against an airborne assault of paratroopers and helicopters. It's the first time Taoyuan International Airport, the island's most important air link with the rest of the world, has involved in annual exercises. Volunteers worked frantically on a second day to save dozens of pilot whales that have stranded themselves on a beach in Western Australia. More than 50 have already died. Officials say it's not known why the phenomenon occurs. Australia and New Zealand are known hotspots for mass whale strandings. Evelyn, it is really great that justice has been served in Belgium over those terrorist bombings. All right. Um, and also on another note, talking about Belgium, a quick jump here. Kev, I, um, I suggest you quickly go visit Europe. Oh, really? i got to get my passport out? Why is that? Well, EU officials announced that for the first time in decades, Americans will soon need to buy a travel visa to Europe. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. 
Right. U.S. citizens have enjoyed visa-free travel to Europe for many years. Starting in 2024, though, that will come to an end. European Union authorities announced the world change affecting over 1 billion people, including U.S. citizens. The reason for the change is to improve border security. EU officials say that over 90 percent of online applicants will be approved in minutes. The cost of the new visa-type document will be about $8. The document will allow for up to 90 days of travel in 27 EU mem member countries. Sounds like a really great opportunity. Yeah, I mean, $8, it's not the world. So hopefully you'll be in the 90% that gets improved if you decide to go after that. Affordable, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And coming up, bipartisan concerns of artificial intelligence are circulating in the Senate. Experts in the field offered testimony yesterday on what the technology could be capable of. And some changes in international swimming could be on the horizon. The international governing body says an open category for athletes who identify as transgender is in the works. Welcome back. Both Democratic and Republican senators are expressing alarm over artificial intelligence. At a Senate hearing yesterday, experts in the field offered testimony on what the technology could be capable of. Here are the details. A Senate Judiciary Subcommittee held a hearing on Tuesday about oversight for AI technology. Subcommittee Chairman Richard Blumenthal expressed alarm over the risks of the technology. We're here now because AI is already having a significant impact on our economy, safety, and democracy. The Dangers are not just extinction, but loss of jobs, one of potentially the worst nightmares that we have. Dario Amade is the CEO of AI company Anthropic. He said certain steps in bioweapons production involve knowledge that can't be found on Google or in textbooks and require a high level of expertise. A straightforward extrapolation of today's systems to those we expect to see in two to three years suggests a substantial risk that AI systems will be able to fill in all the missing pieces, enabling many more actors to carry out large-scale biological attacks. We believe this represents a grave threat to U.S. national security. Computer science professor Stuart Russell of UC Berkeley has a different concern. We can present to the system a great deal of information about an individual, uh, everything they've ever written or published on Twitter or Facebook, um, their social media presence, their floor speeches, um, and train the system and ask it to generate a disinformation campaign, particularly for that person. And then we can do that for a million people before lunch. Lawmakers from both parties expressed concerns over the technology. Senator Josh Hawley is ranking member of the subcommittee. As AI develops, we've got to make sure that we have safeguards in place that will ensure this new technology is actually good for the American people. I'm confident it'll be good for the companies. The hearing took place days after AI companies, including OpenAI, Alphabet, and Meta Platforms, made voluntary commitments to the White House. They agreed to implement measures such as watermarking AI-generated content to help make the technology safer. Swimmers could soon see an open category in international swimming for athletes who identify as transgender. Entity's Daniel Monaghan has more on the announcement by the International Governing Body for Swimming. The move comes more than a year after a new policy banned men who identify as women from competing in women's events. 
That is, unless they began such a so-called transition before the age of 12. President Hussein al-Musalam made the announcement of the new category while speaking at the World Aquatics Congress in Japan. Al-Musalam stated that, It was very important that we protected fair competition for our female athletes, but you have heard me say many times that there should be no discrimination. Nobody should be excluded from our competitions. No additional details were offered by al-Musalam on when the open category might be introduced into competition. The announcement by World Aquatics follows a decision by the international cycling body UCI from earlier this month. That stated that male cyclists who identify as women will be banned from competing in all international women's events if their so-called transition occurred after puberty. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. From sports to COVID, a seven-year-old boy, through his legal representative, is suing a California school district. The lawsuit says the boy's rights were violated when he was disciplined for not complying with masking and testing requirements during the pandemic. The boy is now eight, and the case is still ongoing. Eight-year-old H.N. appears to be a typical young boy who enjoys board games, Nerf guns, baseball, and toy vehicles. The summer camp would be beach baseball, my after-school camp. But the Scotts Valley resident is very mature for his age. It all started in September 2021 when he was seven. At times, he refused to wear a mask in school and did not consent to getting tested for COVID-19 weekly. For some reason, I had to take the COVID test twice, but I did not because I did not want to. I have right to speak my mind. So I did not do it. And then they put me in the office and they kept me in there and for a week or two, for a week, yeah. His dad then hired a lawyer and filed a lawsuit on his behalf against the school district with the California Superior Court, Santa Cruz County. They are suing for negligence, false imprisonment, violating his civil rights and other charges. I couldn't breathe. I had to chew holes in my mask. I had to go, I had to, before I figured out chewing holes, Hey, can I uh, go get some water? And then I went outside to pull down my mask and actually breathe again. The complaint mentions nine separate incidents in which HN refused to wear a mask. I was just feeling disappointed that, you know, they had to keep sending me back to the office, putting me in storage rooms. I wasn't with my classmates. But the school district's defense attorney, Mark Davis, wrote in a letter to the Epic Times saying that HN's refusal to be vaccinated, tested, and to wear a mask created a difficult situation. Davis added, quote, The safety guidelines could have been ignored, but that likely would have increased the overall risk to students and staff and would not have been reasonable under the circumstances. But now the case continues to make its way through the court system. It may head to a trial unless a settlement takes place. More coverage coming up. Tax havens may cost countries trillions over the next decade. We hear from an expert about possible solutions to the revenue loss in just a minute. Welcome back. Tax havens. They could cost countries around the world a lot of money over the next 10 years, according to a new report, $4.7 trillion worth. 
Illegal schemes, legal tax avoidance, and clever accounting may all contribute to the losses. That's according to the Tax Justice Networks, or TJN. It compiled data from 47 countries to make the estimate. But the data is limited, so the group says the real shortfall might be bigger. Profit shifting by international corporations is what's contributing to a majority of the lost revenue. That's when companies seek out low-tax areas and assign most of their profits there, while generating most of their revenue in high-tax locales. Wealthy individuals can seek tax relief in several small islands like Samoa or Malta, but TJN points out that large economies can also be considered tax havens, such as the UK, the Netherlands, and Hong Kong. They all have corporate tax rates under 10%. And we're bringing in Vance Ginn, president of the Ginn Economic Consulting and senior fellow at Young Americans for Liberty to discuss this. Vance, it's great to have you with us today. Hey, Kevin, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Can you explain how tax havens could end up costing countries across the globe big money? Yeah, according to this report from the Tax Justice Network, um, they are essentially saying, look, as you laid out there, we have these tax havens that are across the globe, according to them, and multinational corporations and wealthy individuals are not paying, I guess, what they consider their fair share. Um, I should note, you know, the Tax Justice Network is one that wants a global tax policy. And so whenever you think about what they're looking for here, it's really more about how these individuals and multinational corporations are using the legal tax system um, to find you know, ways to, to not pay as much in taxes like all of us do. And they're considering that uh, necessarily a bad thing. I would consider that a reason to lower taxes for everyone. Instead of having tax havens in some countries and not in others because they have lower taxes, we should be considering ways to lower corporate and other taxes altogether along with lowering spending. So how can one or a country lower taxes while still being able to drive enough revenue? I think it's a big part of it, you know, Kevin, is looking at ways to make sure you have the least burdensome form of taxes. Um, corporate taxes, other types of taxes that are taxing capital and businesses are really just passing along those costs in the form of higher prices, lower wages, and fewer jobs available for people because people pay those taxes. Um, and it also comes down to spending. Whenever a lot of these countries want to spend more, well, then they want to tax more. It all goes back together or they run up massive deficits, which are just future taxes. And so these are things we need to get control over on the fiscal side, not only for ways to raise taxes or hurt, ta- hurt individuals more than others, but really have a fair playing field where we have low taxes um, for everyone and, and flat rates. You bring a lot of support to you know, give evidence to that claim that you're hearing. Now, back in 2019, the G7 finance ministers, they created a plan to tackle this problem, and they wanted to suppose that tax should be collected where the sellers are located and create a minimum tax for these multinational companies to prevent profit shifting. In your view, is that the solution, or does there need to be some domestic reform here in the U.S.? I don't think that's a good view, and I don't think that we should have a global tax system or the OECD or other sort of governing bodies at a global scale making tax policy for the United States or really for other countries. We should be doing what's going to be best for each individual country. And here in the United States, that means lowering our corporate tax. There were some good tax cuts in the Trump tax cuts of 2017 that lowered the rate from 35% down to 21%, but that's still now above the global average as other countries are lowering their corporate tax rates. I think 
think we need to consider lowering ours as well, along with restraining the growth of government spending. The more we get government out of the way, the more prosperity that we're going to have. And folks like those, the Tax Justice Network and other more progressive types of groups really just want more tax revenue so they can spend more. It's not about lowering the deficit or the debt, which we need to do, uh, but it's going to put more of a hamper and, and slow down the economic growth than we otherwise would have. So Vance, $4.7 trillion, that's a lot of money. That's equivalent to the world's entire annual public health budget. So what are the reforms needed to prevent that and how do we get there? I would note that the $4.7 trillion is over a decade. So you're talking about $470 billion per year. Uh, and so that would, wouldn't be quite as much as the World Health Organization, but it would be a lot, right? And so there's a lot of things to think about here. Um, and, but instead, I really think we got to focus on the spending. And I've been a big fan of spending limits that I think every country should have. And if we focus on government spending, which is the ultimate burden of government, then we won't need to tax as much in the process. And it should be about you know fair taxation that's equitable and that allows for the least burdensome form of taxes altogether, not some global tax, not higher taxes altogether. And I think that comes more from consumption type taxes compared to income taxes and others. But if you're going to keep income taxes, you should have a flat tax you know, rate, um, a flat tax burden overall, and make sure you have the lowest rate. And that will allow you to have more economic growth. And you know what? Growth brings about more tax revenue. <laughs> so if you rein in spending and you have more tax revenue, you can balance more budgets across the globe. Well, thanks for helping us make sense of this really complex topic here. Vance Ginn, president of Ginn Economic Consulting. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kevin. Have a great day. Spotify, the popular music streaming app, is raising prices for the first time ever in the U.S. Why is this happening and what can you do to save money? Entity's Faye Quarter explores some options. For the first time ever, Spotify is raising its prices in the U.S. across the board, with increases ranging from 6 to 20 percent. Most people have made the switch to streaming uh, music services, and so they've established habits. So it's a little safer to raise prices because the habits have been formed. Robbie Kelman-Baxter is the author of The Forever Transaction and The Membership Economy. Her own family has a Spotify family account as well as YouTube Premium. She says it would be very hard for even them to cancel at this point. There are additional reasons for the price hikes. Licensing fees are going up. Artists are demanding more. So streaming services are raising prices as well. The services also want to improve themselves, which requires more money. And finally, they want to make more money in general. Spotify increased the price for the first time in 12 years since launching in 2011. And they increased the price by $1 per month which is $12 per year. So I don't see that as a significant ask. Mike Warner is the author of Work Hard, Playlist Hard, as well as an artist with music on Spotify. He says users will get a two-month grace period to decide whether to cancel. There are some ways to save money, despite the price increases. If you like up-and-coming music, there are apps like SoundCloud and Bandcamp that uh, are free. The other thing is, you know, we have a family account that's 6 six accounts for a single price. So if you're in a household with multiple people, you know, considering bundling that together is, is another way to, to save costs. Spotify is just the latest streaming service to raise prices. YouTube Music, Amazon Music, and Apple Music have all hiked their main plans from $9.99 to $10.99 a month over the past year. Faye Quarter, NTD News. How are you at? 
Well, I think it's easy to, I mean, bundle is a good idea, and I think it's easy to subscribe to a bunch of things and then just forget about it, right? So I think maybe the price hikes are just a, you know, a good opportunity to now to look at what you're actually using. Yeah, the bundle option's one thing, and you know, it's the company's decision. If they feel like there's enough supply and demand there, they can raise the prices and still have a prosperous business model. That is also right, yeah. And so next, the three musketeers tell us what keeps them going with a fully packed schedule. Shen Yun, World Tours, a YouTube channel, and interference from the CCP after the break. Good to have you back. Hey, Kevin, you have heard of Three Musketeers, right? Have you? Yeah, aren't they the Shen Yun dancers on YouTube talking about their lives? Yes, exactly. And I, I, I watched their videos. They have some really fun and pretty well-produced videos recently. And they joined me to talk about why they started their YouTube channel in the first place on top of their full-time jobs, the encounters they had with the CCP, and what keeps them going. Joining me now are Sam, Will, and Jisung, the stars of The Three Musketeers. It's great to have you guys. And your channel recently had its two-year anniversary, so congratulations. Thank I you know very that, much. <laughs> I know that you're primarily also dancers with Shen Yun Performing Arts, and I would imagine that's already a really tough full-time job. So I'm just wondering, why did you guys start a YouTube channel on top of that? You know, how did that idea come about? Well, it's mostly because we have very unique lives lives that were like touring around the world for half a year at a time so we wanted to share what that's like with our audience mm, interesting and that now there are thousands of people watching by now so you've grown by quite a bit so what is it that you want people to take away from the videos that you make uh, we hope people to take our positive energy and hopefully entertaining it's just that i think there's a lot of mystery behind shen yun and people don't really know what the lives of Shane dancers are like so we kind of want to demystify and put ourselves out there almost to show you guys what our real lives are like as Shen Yun dancers. Hmm. And I think you're hmm. really doing a great job with that because um, I see videos where you really have a very personal touch to that. Now, let's talk about your newest video. Um, Will, I heard you especially telling your story and shedding some light on, you know, other people's stories as well. So why was that topic important to you? So I'm actually a practitioner of Falun Dafa, and it's a spiritual practice, meditation, and exercises. And basically, we believe in the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance, which are great values. But unfortunately, a lot of people, millions of people who practice are actually being persecuted in China, and it's banned in China. But I think that it is something that is so beneficial to society, these values, that it's something that I wanted to talk to people about and let people know that this is not something that should be banned in China, and I hope that we can have freedom of belief one day in China as well. Hmm, I think that's a great goal. Um, now, I hear a lot about you know va values right now, speaking to you guys, values and positivity. Why do you think it's important right now? Why do you think it's important to um, spread this at the moment? Well, I think even in terms of social media, there's a lot of content that is not very healthy or it could be maybe for, for children or for anyone in general. It's uh, more negative. And these values are something that I see as very, very positive. Being truthful, being compassionate, and being tolerant and forbearing when things don't go your way. It is something that's very important in society today when things are so negative sometimes. So it's really what helped me get through in life a lot of the times. And this value is something that I also want to share online. Hmm. 
That's very inspiring. Now, just recently, I spoke to a couple of people about that, you know, about the influence of communist China around the world and how people that are speaking out receive threats or people um, that are believing in Falun Gong get persecuted abroad as well. Can you tell me a bit about the encounters that you guys had? Yeah, actually, it's pretty intense. Um, while we toured the Dominican Republic, the Chinese consulate actually reached out to the theater. They called them and they're like, hey, don't let this show perform or we're going to, you know, we're going to do something to your country or your theater or whatever. And we have had similar threats in Mexico. And it's kind of hard because, like, we just want to show traditional Chinese culture. But the Chinese Communist Party is trying so hard to stop that. Mm. Yeah, so it's, well, from what I understand, it's a reoccurring thing, right? Exactly. I think in multiple countries, they've done that. Hmm. Yeah. Now, so hearing this, your job comes with certain risks. So why are you, despite all of that, why are you still doing what you're doing? What keeps you going? Well, I think what we're doing, we just want to share our values, share our beliefs. And in America, we have freedom of belief. But in some other parts of the world, we might not have it. For example, in China, I still think it is very restricted there. So. I think it's something that's worth speaking up about, even though there are some risks. Like right now, if I were to go back to China, I could very much be you know, put into prison because we're speaking up about my beliefs. And it's happened where people just disappear in China as well. But even though there is that risk, I still think it's something that's worth talking about. Hmm. I think that's great that you guys have your mission to uh, spread this positivity and those values and provide all this wholesome content at the same time. So thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank you. Great interview, and I think it's really great how they're staying diligent and being able to bring forth their message through their art form despite those threats from the CCP. Yeah, exactly. Just I think that shows a lot of discipline here as well. I mean, it's really fun videos, and they're, I, I have a good laugh watching them. But it's just also good to know that there is such a you know a, a very serious issue behind there as a driver. So where can we see them? Say that again? So where can we see them? Oh, yeah, right. Of course, you can catch their videos on YouTube and on their own platform, actually, called Shenyun Creations. Um, they're called The Three Musketeers, so if you just type that in. Hope to check it out. Yeah, you should. All right, um, we're wrapping up here. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you as usual. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com if you have feedbacks or any ideas that you would like to share. That's, that's it for today. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.